I'm going to do a quick show of hands. Who actually listens here to Dark Days Radio? Oh, Excellent. So if you're not aware, Dark Days Radio has been running for 10 years. It's a horror RPG podcast. We interview writers. We review books. We're not funded by anyone, so we're quite honest about books. And we try to also give you extra value. So if a book is kind of a bit rubbish in places, but there's germs of a good idea, we will try and rescue it as well. Um, and we also do The Secret Frequency, which is where we take real-world folk horror, well, sorry, folklore, myth, legends, and how that can be incorporated into games. And now we're also branching out into doing something called Darkhammer, which is also worlds of Warhammer RPG content. Because again, Warhammer, no matter how you slice it, is quite horrific in places. So we like horror games and miniatures and everything else. But the point about this panel, who I have a, a wonderful cast of people, is to talk about horror gaming and how to run games, how to also write for them, how to pace them because, and also how to get the tone right because horror is a complex thing where you don't want to posh people over the head with random stuff which is not quite their taste. Um, so we'll go from my left all the way to the furthest left and everyone can introduce themselves and what kind of things they've done and then we'll get into some topics and maybe even ask some questions if you want to. So, ask you. Hi, uh, I'm Dave, Dave Brookshaw. Um, I have, I, I'm a long-term uh, World of Darkness and uh, New World of Darkness freelancer. Um, I've written for every Chronicles of Darkness game bar one, which is uh, the current record. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was the line developer for Mage the Awakening uh, until about two months ago, and uh, when I handed it off, and I created the recently kick-started Deviant Renegades, which is uh, on its path, some Cronenbergy body horror, um, the fly type of game. It's the mixed bag one, it's the most mixed bag one. Cool. <coughs> and next. Uh, my name's Eleanor Hingley, uh, I'm a freelancer who uh, has worked with Cubicle 7, I'm currently working on um, Wrath and Glory. Um, I've also written for the DMs Guild, I've contributed to a few different anthologies, the Uncaged Anthology, um, and I, one in particular relevant to this is a, I've written a folk horror adventure called The Last Harvest for an upcoming seasonal anthology, um, which is just called Seasonal Anthology Equinoxes. Um, and uh, on a non-horror note, uh, I also contributed an adventure to um, Aegean Adventures, which um, the creator, Stu Goff, has been, has been selling here today. Hello everyone, I'm Dave Seamark. I don't have quite the track record of those to my right. Uh, I, I run a podcast like, uh, like Chris called The Effect Podcast, or formerly The Coriolis Effect. And um, I have done uh, freelance writing. Uh, my, my first credit on the Alien RPG game, which sold out by 12 o'clock today <laughs> from the stand. Uh, awesome, I'm Justine Knight. Uh, I helped with Sims the RPG. Um, I'm also working in video games. I'm currently, hopefully next year, have a sci-fi horror game coming out. I'm uh, Dominic McDowell. I run Cubicle 7. Um, and um, horror-wise, uh, I think probably yeah, writing, uh, World War Cthulhu, um, uh, Warhammer, obviously, would be the horror tones on that, um, and other things that I've run. I'm Phil Dalgoski. Um, I'm actually not a writer, but I've published Cthulhu Hack, 
husband writes Paul Balgoski. Um, we've, we, we've been doing that now for about four years and we also have a new horror, um, sort of, uh, not horror, but horror and supernatural um, game coming out called The D Sanction, which is based in uh, Queen Elizabeth's time with John D in Walsingham. So we're going to take all those rumours and make them all kind of real within the role playing game. Ooh, that's a diverse lineup, which is great. So um, we've got a list of ideas and topics. Um, so I think the main thing with horror games is story structure because often you want to try and create tension, you want to maintain that tension, and also you want to, you don't want to give away too much early so that the final few scenes have the most biggest amount of impact. So. Who, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna choose Dave first because you've been working on Alien. And that's mostly perhaps the most seminal game or IPs out there that really takes the idea of sci-fi, but it's it's actually more of a horror genre. Mm. So how is that working with how they've been working on you know, freely been working on Alien, and also how you designed the like demo, which and a, and a scenario with story structure. Um, thanks for picking me first. <laughs> um, so I think. Uh, the thing with Alien is you know what you're getting. You know, I guess you said that about a lot of stuff like Vampire the Masquerade and, and other things as well. But if somebody's coming into an Alien game, they know what to expect. And I think that's probably one of, it's one of its real great strengths, but it's also potentially one of its weaknesses. Because everyone knows, oh, when's the Alien going to pop up? Um, in terms of story structure, I mean, you just need to look at the, uh, you know, the film. So Alien and Aliens in particular, I guess where you know, Alien is a haunted house in space, as many people have described it. Very slow build-up of that tension. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to it, the, you know, the four elements of, uh, of pacing a game. So the unease that you have at the start where they come out of um, hypersleep and they're not where they think they are. And then they've got the dread where they go onto the planet and there are things happening, and then they're on the ship. And it builds up to the, the situation with Kane and the alien uh, and the facehugger. So I think you're looking at, you know, there, there is kind of a format almost, where you're slowly building up that unease and that tension, um, teasing your players, your, you know, your readers a little bit. Um, and then you might have to release that tension. So you've got that tension <coughs> in Alien, the, the facehugger coming off Kane is the release of the tension, and he's laughing and he's happy. And then slap bang, you get into the chestburster scene where again, you're getting into, well, I mean, some of the terror and the horror and then very quickly it's gone again. Because actually it doesn't look like much of a threat, now it's killed Kane. So I think there's, that's a real strength uh, of Alien. But sometimes, you know, I think in a gaming sense, you don't want to be following that every single time. You have to mix it up a bit. There is an, an originality point, I think, that is worth talking about. Because if you play a lot of horror games and you follow the same pattern every single time, then your players are going to get used to it and they'll know your kind of tricks to to build, uh, build that tension. Um, I think particularly with the Alien game and the, the scenario that we wrote for, um, uh, for the book, you know, Hope's Last Day, that starts a little bit further on down that road because it's some of the writing um, constraints we had. It had a very limited word limit because it's a very big book with a lot of stuff that we had to fit in. So some of that was jumped a little bit. So you did the unease and the 
and the sort of the dread was start, has to start quite quickly. Okay, and so you quite quickly like progress. Starting in media res, where you'll be rushing already through kind of as events progressing. Yeah, exactly. Does yeah. anyone else want to jump in on how it relates to maybe the particular game line or style of game that you write, how story structure for horror works? Um, I mean, for Sins, it's it's quite interesting because you go through almost a series of, of calm and then hype and then calm. Mm. Um, and the dread is there, but it can be, depending on the GM, you can diminish it quite well. Um, in Sins, there are sometimes cities and there are sometimes like populations, and it's very good to create a sort of, I think for personally, when I played a game, to create very high tension moments followed by a period of just very calm, mm. because then people aren't sure really what they're getting. Um, and I find a lot of time when your kind of your characters like they recognise somewhere as a safe space, then then flip it and make it a non-safe space. Um, so basically, once they start to assume. So yeah, so horror has to have moments of release. Uh, anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, yeah, go yeah. On. Um, with Cthulhu Hack, it's uh, basically based more on Lovecraft's horrors. Um, so we go back to the true stories that he wrote. And we sort of, you know, it's kind of like that film noir where you build up that suspense to then, you know, get the anticipation towards the end of the game that you then come to a conclusion sort of thing. So um, the notes that we've written here, uh, we, we kind of ramp up the weird really slowly. So we build up that, you know, tenseness. Um, and that sometimes will make the players then create their own paranoia. Um, one of the things that we have is like running tainted meat from three faces of Wendigo. Um, that story there, it you know, it ramps up right towards the end of the last thirty minutes where everything sort of goes crazy and then the horrors all start kicking in. But it just you know, building up that intense um, feeling and that it's slowly the people the people who are playing the game are creating their own horrors. You know, sensation. Yeah, it's teasing the horror. It's kind of that Hitchcock kind of thing. Yeah. Like you get more value out of letting the players run with their ideas. Um, anyone else want to jump in with any ideas that isn't covered or relevant to other games? Uh, I kind of uh, had an interesting experience of trying to design a folk horror sort of standard D&D &D adventure um, because obviously with that it's very action focused and uh, with because these are designed as one-shots for the most part the things that I've been writing for anthologies, um, you want to hook people in pretty quickly with an action scene. But at the same time, you kind of do need to have that pacing. You need to have that kind of uh, sense of um, letting, letting the players run with their ideas while also working around a quite fixed structure um, with encounters and you know the right number of, the amount of XP that they get at the end and things like that. Um, so a big part of what I did was um, give that a bit more of a sandboxy element so that uh, it hooked them in with something early on that was kind of an action moment but it kind of hinted at some kind of body horror things that were going to go on later and then there was a lull but then after that they could start to to explore these different there's there's kind of a, a moment of um, of action that leads them into exploring further further alpha horrors within that that sort of uh, space that's all set in like a village um, and it's up to the players which way they go um, eventually because it's a preset eventually they always end up at the same point but it gives them a sense of uh, of building dread as they kind of encounter these different parts of the village it's interesting you said sandbox because it now makes me think so gone with um rough days hard nights does that say 
sandbox with, mm. but it's got a clock and yeah. events are occurring which you may or may not interact with depending upon what you choose to do. Yeah. So how do you think does that work for like where you've got this events are moving on? How does that work with horror where you feel like you're out of control with certain things because you forgot about it? <laughs> Maybe. I think yeah, that's I mean, follow on your point really is it's the um, you can plan how you're going to pace and plot things as much as you like, but um, still going to face live players, and we know how that can go. So you know that's something we do need to bear in mind. And having that clock is one way of um, uh, having that brought into it. So you know these things are going to happen. The plot's going to be moving forward regardless of what the players um, are going to do. And it, it's one of the more kind of um, or one of the less railroady feeling things to, or ways ways of achieving that. I think. Um, it feels like the events are autonomous of the GM's control, even, you know, you're not forcing them to this situation because it's just happening. They're, they've made up their minds that that's going to happen. Um, so it's, yes, one way of, of approaching that. that yeah. Alien takes a very similar approach in terms of putting out the events that, that can happen, but it's up to the GM to play them in at the right moment. And that works really well, I think, because you can let your players run off. Mm. You might not be building a lot of tension at that point, but you know what events you can drop in at what point to suddenly ramp that up if you want yeah. to, or just raise the temperature a bit. And it's important, I think, to have that um, you know, a, a scenario or an adventure or an evening of play needs to have its own internal narrative logic. Mm. Um, and I think that, that that's kind of the difference between somebody feeling like they're being railroaded or not, is if it makes narrative sense that this course of this, this thing has just happened to them, um, I think you know, that, that helps players accept it. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I mean, uh, most uh, World of Chronicles of Darkness games, uh, which are most of my most of my experience, they um, they rely on a uh, a long term campaign, almost campaign level build up of poor decisions mm. and uh, increasing dread until the the, the character um, faces a sticky end, um, which are modelled slightly differently according in each game according to the um, uh, according to the biases and what sort of monster archetype that particular one of the dozen and one games um, you're talking about um, in terms of uh, in terms of an individual story or an individual game session the, the main narrative advice that we normally give is um, uh, the build up of tension and then the release of it is it, it should be paced like a good joke you have a long wind up and then a very and then a, a short sharp punchline because if you dwell over if, if you really dwell on the um, uh, on the gross out parts um, one of the things unique to tabletop games is you have to be describing everything that is happening in the world so like with literary horror, uh, you don't have the special effects budget of a Hollywood horror movie. If you try to go all in on the uh, on the gore and the hanging corpses and the uh, the squiggly monsters, you just sound stupid. Yeah, you you end up sounding like a dying wizard. And you're in danger of desensitisation of your players as well. I think that leads into one of the other things: is how do you keep things interesting within certain settings? Like, so thinking of Alien, you've got the xenomorph. Is that really the focus, or is it more of the background of the horror, maybe, so you don't cost people over the head of, oh no, it's a xenomorph, again, mm. 
Or in Warhammer, it's like, oh, here's the Legions of Nagash again, it's skeletons, yay, what are you so terrified? It's like, how do you keep things fresh? I think is, I don't know what your opinions are on how you do that within games, if there's tropes or devices that enable you to keep horror feeling fresh. And uh, let's just say an antagonist feels new again to mm. players. I don't know if you've got any opinions on Anyone can jump in. I don't care. <laughs> um, I'd say kind of it's very important to have a structure with horror, but use your players. Um, I think kind of like role playing games have that one perspective compared to others, where you can almost put your players against each other. If it's a survival or if it's a horror, you can put them into the same situation, get them both worked up. Um, so I kind of if you want to make something new, don't forget that you basically have five other people that you can mess around with, <laughs> create their own new stuff to do it with. Um, a lot of the time they've created their own horror, I've just set the scene because they don't, they're not sure what's behind there, so they just create it in their head. Mm. I think you've got, um, e even when you do have um, you know, repetitive threats or you know, the same factions that are coming up, things, I mean, they're always relevant that you can personalise that. Yeah. You, can, you can customise that as much as you want. You know, no, no group of zombies need to be the same. No, you know, it's, and certainly the situation that surrounded them and um, yeah, you can get a lot of mileage out of a very small cast of villains um, if they've got real personality and the, the situations in which they are coming into play um, are then they have their own particular setup and um, set of characteristics. It reminds me of the, there's a classic uh, new World Darkness Darkness, which is called Antagonist, that's kind of like what you'll build your own zombies. So again, you can always make zombies. Zombies have many flavors, I think we've learned now. Vampires <laughs> have different flavors. Yeah. Werewolves have different flavors. But um, I would also sexy say. Zombies, sexy zombies. Sexy um, zombies. Well, Shadows of Mordor or something like that, you know, where yeah. you know, you've got. Um, yeah, it's all just orcs. But there's an incredible variety in there, and they've all got personalities and uh, get really annoyed with you when you stab them in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, that actually leads to another interesting point, and I think this is maybe something that everyone at this panel has some good advice on, because um, Justin, you were saying, like, using your players' ideas of what they find horrific, you have to be careful on managing that so you don't, you don't verge into things which is like, hold on, that's too on the nose. So I'm sure there's a lot of advice on how to deal with that. Does anyone want to jump in with some best notes on that? and tips. I think I'll just use one quick example from uh, the UK Games Expo, which is not directly relevant to the players, but it's a good, good example to things to, to look out for. We were um, uh, piloting, running, running games of, of, of Alien uh, right next to the stand, so it was a public area, and I was just about to launch into a very graphic explanation and description of one of the characters being killed by an alien. And I looked over my shoulder and there was a little seven-year-old girl just watching. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, we'll stop. Wait, we'll wait for a moment until the girl and her dad have bought what they want and move on. Um, she might have been right into it, though. She might, but... <laughs> yeah, I'll say but, as a girl then, I'd probably be into it. Probably, but that's not my choice to make, I guess. Um, just as... So, I just... Yeah, I mean... But I guess with your players, again, it, it's... Taking Alien as an example, there might be some people out there who come to an Alien table and not know what Alien's about, mm. but there's probably not going to be many. So you can you can maybe not make an assumption, but it's, it's an easy thing to do for Alien, because you can just say, anyone not know what Alien's about? And then if you come to the table, you're going to expect 
chest bursting and face hugging and heads being broken. So there's a certain, you're saying with that, there's a certain expectation bar, like you should accept this type of horror likely will be described as a contract between you and your players. Like, mm. you know, this is going to be in there, but how far do you go with that? And so then, I think, sorry, I'm, I'm sound like I'm suddenly monopolising. I think Dave's point is a really good one about too much, too much description of gore gets boring really quickly. Like I say, you get desensitised to it and you just, you just waste your time. So you do have to, I think, unless you've got players who are really bloodthirsty, you know them really well and you very, really want that, I think you do have to rein back that description and allow their, their imagination to fill in the gaps for you. I think that's something, I think, Don and Alan, you agree, there's only so, many, so much you can describe Paul Berserkers charging through people, changing. <laughs> it's like, you get a bit boring talking about chunks of flesh flying if, if, <laughs> if you go too far, it turns into Garth Ferengi in my head. <laughs> my head anyway. Yes. <laughs> but that's, good, but that's an interesting change. <laughs> <horror, laughs> as part of the release, is also re- realising that horror can also verge into the, sometimes the absurd, and mm-hmm. that there is kind of a com- there is a kind of a dark comedy, even if it is your character having its comeuppance. That's maybe the world of darkness is quite true because there's a catharsis in watching your character finally. So pay for I, their sins. <laughs> in 40k that's true as well, and yeah. I'm sure in Cthulhu games, seeing them to descend into madness is also a, a tricky subject as well, how to treat that appropriately. Is there anything... Actually, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. How does Cthulhu hack, like, deal well, with madness? Um, basically, um, don't be scared of using modern ideas. Um, it provides uh, essential touch points that make players comfortable, but use that as a springboard and um, for a square or twist. I mean, people don't want to go to Innsmouth or any of these other places, just meet the great, you know, the old, great old ones. You want to kind of, um, you know, create something fresh that they might, you know, that they're not going to expect as such, so. Anyone else got any, want any points on, you know, over overdoing the horror or, or you know, tuning the experience for your player group. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, that something something that um, I'm incredibly aware of uh, all the time with designing kind of monsters or describing monsters is a lot of the time it isn't about a zombie, it isn't about a skeleton, it isn't about a ghost. It is about what those things actually mean and what it is about them that frightens us. Um, you know, the whole idea of zombies is just consumers and and the idea that you know that is within us as well um i think i can't remember who said it but in in um a gothic critic i was reading they said the ghost is never just a ghost you know um and and uh part of it is um is 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 essentially understanding how to draw those elements out that are kind of the subtext of that monster um you know with with 40k um on some level, uh, the gene stealer cults mm. are terrifying because they are deep within societies and, and things like that. They, they are a spread and infection. Um, but a part of that is being aware that those subtexts can have different meanings to different players. Um, and you can use that sometimes to, to be like, oh, I know this person really doesn't like zombies. Versus other times you might want to be like, I know this person has had bad experiences with this specific subject. I'm going to go light on the description on that. 
Um, and I think I think a lot of safety mechanics like lines and bales, um, yeah. X card, stuff like that, you know, establishing with people what they're comfortable with at the start of a game can actually really help you push that and know when to push on that, um, to push on the description or to rein it back a little bit and let their minds fill it in. Also, so something about like you, you may have heard like some people can respond quite favorably to the idea of using lines and bales and X cards like it somehow encroaches on the game and the story they're trying to tell but I think some of these tools and devices you use <coughs> you often if you've got you know, you know your players because you've been friends with them for a while and you've got to know them you're mostly not going to draw on them because everyone is finally kind of coalesced on what is fun and that these things are more useful at convention games and so forth. like speaking from working in a games workshop store for three years you know there's a point where you go yeah I know you like chaos but you're not going to collect, I think a Slanesh army is not really for you, 13-year-old <laughs> child. Like, you know, so it's that idea of like, you have to, you have to change how you're presenting things for your audience. And if your audience is a, a group of players that's close-knit, then these tools, hopefully, are things that you can broadcast, even maybe not even have to say. It can just be like, really? And it's like, yeah, that's a bit too on the nose. Let's dial it back a little bit. Or... You know, you can up it, you can up it, because everyone's going, that's mental, carry on. <laughs> and the player adds to the description, it's like, okay, everyone's having fun. I think it's not just GM to player focusing, it's the other way as well. Yeah. So drawing from a, a campaign that, that I played in, uh, which was uh, not intended to be a horror campaign at all. <laughs> um, it was, we were playing World War One veterans in what sounds like a very sci-fi, pulpy, um, alien body snatcher campaign. But we'd... Um, We'd worked out a way of detecting whether you're an alien, which was to cut your skin. So we ended up descending into madness where we were taking, taking actions that, to any reasonable person, were bonkers, mad. <laughs> and there's a lot of self-harm going on. And whenever we met somebody in the game, we had to check that they weren't an alien by cutting them. And so I think for, for our GM, because it was the players that were driving this, all reasonable, isolated decisions, but take them into the hole or look at it from the outside, um, it's barking. And it could have, been, could have been very bad for the GM who had no intention of the game going that way. It wasn't designed that way. It was a kind of a sci-fi pulp adventure game, which just grew into that horror. Well, saying that, um, we've actually had a player walk away from one of our games. Um, it wasn't because of the GM. It was because one of the other players mm. started straying into that sort mm. of monstrous, um, you know, uh, idea that, that this person wasn't comfortable with and like you said about the X card having that there um, mm. that could have been more you know helpful for that that person but having the descriptions the tags and everything of the games I know that's probably another question I'm going to touch on but having the tags in the games about what you know more for conventions of what the game's about um, that 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 is really useful. It prepares the person, the players coming into the game. But the GM also needs to keep an eye on these players about how to rein in some other players who might be making, uh, you know, players uncomfortable. That's really and, that's, and that's something really to watch out for. Not to try and railroad or control anything, but you know, be prepared to have a counterbalance or counteraction to what. Um, might happen in that situation. Let's see. Well, it, it, the first um, kind of real, well, second actually, real action we've taken on this um, with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, um, 
was we put a page in the game rules section. Um, I think we called it like good game rules or something <laughs> like that. It was something that we were trying to do fairly, you know, not doing it too heavy handedly or anything like that. But it was just um, a um, uh, things like checking everybody was okay with content and um, making sure everybody's comfortable. Um, don't eat at the table. Um, don't be constantly checking your phone. So try everything in there and putting it in the rules section so that it was you know, making it clear as the players as well. It's not just tools for GMs on, on, um, on controlling your players. Um, but, you know, this is part of the social contract that everybody needs to sign up to. And it is, you know, just I think it's very easy as a player where you know, your investment is minimal. You know, really what you're turning up, maybe you'll bring a snack. Um, you know, you, you could be easily cruised through that. I oh, don't have to worry about appropriateness. It's me. Um, <laughs> I have a so, player who turns up to the game with a four-pack of beer almost every week. That was a very important point, actually. We said, you know, you have to, is drinking alcohol at the game yeah. acceptable? Yeah. Um, but, but saying that also, if somebody's got an illness, like he's got diabetes or something yeah. like that, We've actually got somebody in our group who has to check his blood sugar levels throughout the game. He's not just getting his little yeah. machine thing out. And, you know, we don't all stare at him <coughs> while he does this, but know that that's going on and kind of, you know, not accept it, but, but kind of just be aware of that and don't make him an uncomfortable think, situation. I think the thing is, is that these things, when you've had a group of players, like most of us have possibly grown up, take some of these things for granted, but when you do start new groups and you're doing convention games, you actually need to kind of actually deconstruct these things you do at the start of the game session. And that, that sounds really like, you know, it sounds like health and safety, but it, if you put it into terms, it is that kind of kind of attitude. And it's not, it's something you would do if anything else. You would deacon, like, you know, having worked in the laboratory, you, get, you take certain things for granted, like, but you need to sometimes actually actively think about it because it's quite easy to be you're consciously aware of what you're doing and that can slip into being unconsciously aware that you're doing the right things and that can easily then slip into being unconsciously aware that you are messing up and that's when things go bad at a table i'd say it applies even if like i've been playing with the same group for yeah. eight years now and there's, there's still well there, there's still things like um that there are still tastes do change i think people have things going on in their life Mm. Uh, someone might not want to hear about like your amazing alien cancer monster <laughs> if they have just been diagnosed and have a problem. Yeah. So I, I think say, safety talk, modern gaming, going back to what you were saying about like um, what the horror is currently being a metaphor for, mm. being clear with that at the outset. Like um, uh, I know, like all, all of our games, you know, the monsters are um, they're, they're metaphors for things, and um, we. As time goes on, the publishing standards change, and the role-playing game rule changes. Like if you read like a um, a, uh, a Chronicles of Darkness game from like this year, as opposed to one from eight years ago, <laughs> there's a lot more. This game is about um, uh, like uh, this game is about uh, partially about the experience of being homeless, and partially about uh, uh, poisonous anger at your own body at your own body failing you. Yeah. Um, these are the things about like how to portray that uh, in a game sensitively. These are all the safety tools uh, to use in your game. That sort of thing, which is a far cry from um, the good old days of the nineties. 
Hmm. <laughs> yep. I mean, let's hope books like Freak Preaching get published. Um, uh, so the other thing that's related to this, I think, is is interesting, is the fact that horror RPGs can be a framework to explore things quite comfortably. Because I mean, you look at how Vampire opened up a whole kind of demographic of players that felt comfortable talking about being like outsiders. But the other caveat to that, I also think, is while you can explore these topics also means your G your gaming group is also not a self-help group so players also have to think they're not bringing their problems and projecting it into the gameplay that's a i think horror can allow them to do that but again you know they're bringing something you you're a student like i am not prepared to talk you through something that's going on in your life i think you need to talk to someone professional like that but you can I, still explore these things if you if everyone's on board i've x-carded things that players want to do yeah to the, that's a good that's a good point then yeah simply because it, it, like, when i've been running the game uh, simply because like um, what the player wants uh, what the player has been trying to um, get out of the game i cannot give so carry on with with actually then say how does this then work into like writing products that involve horror, how do you feel that these work into like the process of designing these things and publishing them? Because also you've got to consider art. So I don't know everyone might have different experiences from actually running companies that publish things well, or yeah. just adding or just create art direction. I don't know how that works into that from Well it's quite interesting to pursue with her because obviously with we, we draw a lot from Lovecraft's creatures. Um, we, we have a lot of games that are investigative um, and then we go to the extreme of uh, three, uh, three Faces of Wendigo which is about ban you know, can cannibalism so that is quite an extreme um, and that would be something we would have a warning on obviously and not everyone would be really comfortable playing that. Um, saying that we've got you know, different writers writing different products and um, Paul does most of the writing, but then we've had uh, Mother's Love, where we've had three women write about stuff from Ligurus. And um, the, like I said, the, 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 the horrors, you know, there's some topics we really wouldn't be touching on. I don't think we feel using real life situations like, um, you know, a lot of the hostage situations and things like that. If if you if I feel uncomfortable about reading about that and being a part of that, there's enough of it in the world today in the news we are living through every single day, and you know sometimes that's somebody's cup of tea that, that that's what they enjoy doing. But we tend not to try and go for real life topics, and you know we we're there to try and provide a fantasy world, fantasy role play essentially that, that you know that people can just you know it's like going to a movie you know you go to a movie to enjoy it not to get a sense of uh, oh well I'm getting really good feeling about this mm. and I'm, 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 I'm feel better about myself for seeing this movie you're going to a movie for entertainment and at the end of the day when it comes to role playing you role play mm. because you really enjoy it and you just want to it's like an escapism but you know, touching on real life topics, it's not something we really want to do as a publisher for Cthulhu Hack. 
and I know that other, there are other companies yeah. that do that, and I'll leave them to There's do that. There's been missteps in doing that. I'm not going to say anything more on that topic, because I think there's not enough things <laughs> being done on that. What about 40k, actually? I'm thinking, because like 40k, you know, horror is really, in some parts of 40k, really upfront. So, like, producing material that, say, fits into 40k or Warhammer or for Age of Sigmar even in future, you know, you've got established IP that has that horror element. How do you feel that works into trying to get material written and art direction and trying to get the right feel yeah, without, without over-egging it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, certainly in, in kind of in what we show and um, in terms of content, I tend to err on the side of um, leaving more to the imagination. Um, I think, I mean, that's my personal GM as well I think I, I, I get quite skewish about things so I'd much rather like my own personal communication of horror is probably I take people aside and whisper at them a lot more but the like for um, and there's different there's different kind of themes for, for each bit so like with Age of Sigma for example you've had a you know everything's been overrun by chaos for ages um, uh, the, one of the biggest conversations we've had in the office recently is like, how do you come back from cannibalism? <laughs> you know, surely, like generation two, it's all about your nan at my nan, and like, how does that work? I don't know. We, we, we'll, we'll puzzle it out. But, um, uh, but yeah, then forty k again. It's different. It's a lot more in your face. I think, isn't it? Some of the novels are really hardcore. Does anyone want to leave and buy anything? You've got a last chance. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, because I think. Yeah, 40k is interesting in that sense of Warhammer because they do have a long history of, I guess, what's considered acceptable horror in their art. So I mm. guess, again, it's that, what's that player buying? What do they go, that, that's okay, I, I accept that. Yeah. Um, whereas, I, as I said, some of the novels do go into some really mental places, which I, I don't want to repeat at this moment. Just <laughs> look it up, it's crazy. Um, yeah. it's, it's the. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Um, you've got, um, I think with, with 40k, you've got the, the main theme stuff as well, and then the ancillary stuff. Yeah. And I think that, um, you can, um, concentrate a lot and go a little bit from stuff that would be in a codex, <clears throat> for example, or something like that. Um, you can extrapolate a certain amount, but you can leave a lot to the imagination mm. and the, the half complete sentence kind There's of thing. There's only so much you want to write about Dark Elder than Torture. <laughs> There's only so yeah. much you can really do that. It's like, yeah. no, I think people can fill in the blanks. Yeah. yeah. What about Sins? Because Sins has got quite a unique, uh, got an interesting kind of art style. So how's that fitting and developing content and writing for Sins? I guess with um, kind of like dystopian fiction, it's a little bit different than fantasy because you do have remains of the world that was. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess in terms of the art and the direction, we wanted recognisable things. People that can say, oh, yes, that's a gun or that's a house or <coughs> that's a person. Um, and then kind of changing it a little bit with the art to make it a little bit off-putting, like something's wrong. It's kind of like a picture that's got something a little bit wrong with it, but you're not sure. Um, so we kind of focused on having a lot of humanity still continue, but continue in a slightly off way to how everyone else presumes it. Um, and I think with Dystopian, we, we wanted to create like a whole society that worked, and then so we knew how it worked, and then kind of like took it away. And once you take away kind of like the luxury of it and come back to the book core basics, it's like, right, so what do humans need and what are they scared of? And usually it's either starving or getting eaten, for example, if it was zombies, or thriving and having some sort of community. And if you get right down to the basics, you find that actually you can make um, 
core storylines, for example, just based around community mm. or um, kind of like searching or, you know, hunting or something like that. Like, it doesn't have to be... I think with dystopia, it's very good because it takes very complicated worlds and then throw survival in there and strips everything in out. If you want to add more as a GM or a player, you can. Yeah, survival um, horror is a very interesting point for it. Because, I mean, even the environment itself can mm. be a source of horror, whether it's yeah. storms and floods and... Mm. Disasters like environmental disaster is kind yeah. of horror, and I, that's possibly maybe even more on the nose and on topic in this day and age than ever before. Yeah, um, and I would I, say also. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say um, also like monsters are terrifying, but I found a lot of human players the way you perceive it um, is also terrifying. And like you say, a lot of cannibalism and stuff like that, but also yeah. just humans and cannibalism. Yeah. It's like it's alright a monster doing it, but if your best pal from across the road starts eating people, how do you cope with that? <laughs> I think so. one, one of the scariest things that we put into um, the Cold War Cthulhu thing that we did yeah. was that there was a, a um, <coughs> kind of like a trust mechanic where um, you had a score, like say you knew you had like 70% trust with CIA um, and then you would try and do something that that would totally allow and all of a sudden, no, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it's that sort of like those turning around your expectations of, um, of very human interactions yeah. that go up. This has changed the entire playing field. Oh my god, what's going on? I, uh, I think that's uh, something that I, I picked up on from yours. I, I love the idea of the uncanny in a dystopian setting because the uncanny is a really valuable tool for creating a sense of dread and building up, especially in those less action sections, giving the sense that something is wrong. In fact, there is a, a very interesting card game called Something Is Wrong, which is entirely based around. Um, the idea of, I think something is wrong here, I may be misremembering. But yeah, so the uncanny is, is the idea that there is, uh, that we have our perceived reality and then something is very slightly shifted. So that idea of monsters that are recognizable things that are just slightly off. And cannibalism comes into that because it's that kind of idea of a human desire for food and it's mutated and twisted and turned into something wrong and and it, it creates a visceral reaction in people it's things like twin peaks it's a that. primal fear as well because it's a self-defense mechanism hold over for when you go that person looks ill i shouldn't be around them and you can draw upon that and i think mage the awakening mostly really goes to that uncanny weirdness as well where something's not right with reality i mean that's at the core of it <laughs> you want to yeah. go into that uh well um mage's main thing is um uh, the the main part of the uncanniness of mages is like uh, the the game is basically based on um, how, has everyone seen the noted Keanu Reeves film Constantine? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, mages in Awakening they can turn on um, their it's called their supernal vision and they, they get like a, an overlay of reality pointing everything supernatural out to them and it looks really weird and it's hallucinatory it's a hallucinatory thing that only they're experiencing. Mm. Um, the main horror thrust of the game is that majors, like actual comic book uh, competence, are arseholes. <laughs> and um, the, the game's mechanics are, devi- are designed around bribing players and having their characters follow their obsessions to the point that they hurt everyone around them. Yeah, I think that's a... That's a with horror, I mean, this is why horror, I think, why, why the program says horror, or horror mm-hmm. that we wrote, is horror is quite an accessible genre because it cuts across multiple different styles, whether it's fantasy, whether it's sci-fi or modern day. 
and we can all relate to it in some way, whereas sometimes it's really hard to get embedded in certain fantasy settings. Because you're sort of like, I don't really know this world that well, but horror is quite personal. And that's why we, we there's things like folk horror as a genre and urban weird, because we always have that fear of those primal fears as children, like we're going to be taken by fae or, you know. Well, it's interesting you say that, because uh, we've just, uh, with Decension, one of the first um, um, stories that, or adventures that we're writing has to do with fae and has to do, you, you, you are sent to go get this artifact and you appear at this field, at uh, this farm, and it's all derelict and everything's dying. You don't know why, and you, there's this, this old man sitting in a, a, a room and he's just, he's, he's talking to you and he replies to you, but he's just not all together there. And then you find, um, so you, you leave him and you go explore and you see this piece, you know, this piece of field that it looks a bit strange and you go into it and all of a sudden you're in this other world and it's kind of like you can't get out. It's the fear is you can't get out. And then these, these three women have taken on this husband who appears to be the child, a child version of this this man, and they've they've captured him by taking his heart. But you can't get out. It's it's, it's a matter of you you're, you're stuck there and trying to figure out a way of getting out. But then it's the fear of how do I get out? I, I I'm trying all these things, and it's like a box being shut upon you. Upon you know, it's like all being having rocks falling on top of you that you get the suffocation that you think, I can't get out, I, I have, if I do this, you know, we'll be able to get out, but there's just no way out. And it's just, it builds up the fear in the character, in, in the players that, you know, oh, I'll try this and I'll try that. And then, you know, you don't know, you just, you're stuck there. You're just stuck in the situation going in, so. So with a mind for time, and given that we've got quite a diverse panel here, um, does anyone have any questions? Yes, please. Um, so how important are mechanics in running and playing horror games? Like you mentioned, playing D&D, &D, which is quite action-oriented, you can traditionally have a lot of horror mechanics, because obviously AU has a really cool stress mechanic, which really like has a sanity mechanic. So how important are those, or is it more like narrative and DM is running the So does system matter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to jump in on that one? Yes. 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 <laughs> system does matter. Um, uh, but I like, think it doesn't necessarily stop. Yes. I've found uh, most horror movies, uh, most horror stories, the protagonists act like it is. Um, so um, if you're trying to, um, the best way that I have found to encourage players to act in that specific form of idiocy um, <laughs> is to um, reward it mechanically. Uh, to essentially bribe people into acting like horror protagonists and getting themselves into trouble. That's and that's a system thing. Um, and then you also have the narrative side of it, which is on you as a uh, as the GM or moderator or whatever. And if you're lucky, you might have players like my wife who gets bored of watching players dilly dally. Oh, should I do this? Should I do that? And she goes, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Regardless of the consequences, she knows mm -hmm. it pushes the plot forward and dramas generated. If you are familiar <laughs> with Vampire, humanity is there for you to lose it. Yeah. But it's, it's those <laughs> mechanics that increase the tension, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. those mechanics that, as you lose a point or something like that, it takes you further towards And deals with the like devil of fun. Can do that, yeah. can't yes. they? But like in Call of Cthulhu, you know, the sanity yeah, points and stuff like that. Yeah, because the Cthulhu is 
you, it's countdown, and it's like dun dun dun, and you're like, oh oh oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna die, oh, I'm dead, you know. So, <laughs> I also, uh, I think that something that's very uh, important is the this kind of tension between player agency and and the fact that you've got all of these events going on around them. And obviously in D&D, they have a lot of agency. That is part of the genre. That's part of what their expectations are. Um, but uh, I do think that there are ways to motivate them, as you were saying, basically bribing them. One of my favorite um, mechanics actually is um, in uh, the Chronicles of Darkness conditions, um, mm. when you get the spooked condition, I think it's the spooky condition, when you have like a brush with the supernatural, and it encourages you to have your character freeze up at, a, at an important moment and you get a beat for it. Um, you don't have to do it. So it's not saying you ha- you must do this. I hate having my turn taken away or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's like one of my nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it does is it, it kind of it gives you that reinforcement of a positive thing that, that encourages you to go along with this negative narrative elements um, that can really that can really increase that tension because oh no someone's given up their agency for this i'm going to cap that off with also that relates to mind control within horror you do the same thing you want players to buy into it because it's a progressive progressive narrative not you're taking away their agency because that's not horror that's just being a <laughs> being a gift to the player <laughs> uh, you had a question it was less of a question more of a almost a counterpoint um and literally just before i came down i was in a game upstairs uh, it was Archimedes 7, which is a uh, dark, Cthulhu Dark game. Okay. Which, um, and I, I don't know if the GM his, himself has simplified it any more than um, the, uh, the the actual game. I've never played Cthulhu Dark otherwise. But it's it's a single dice roll, and he rarely gets you to actually roll the dice to do anything. He just goes along with what you want to do. But what he does is he whispers into your ear, and it, it is... The, the setting is you're on a spaceship, you wake up, shit's gone wrong. Um, but the premise is he starts, uh, and this is all, he's reading this from from the notes from the book that he's photocopied. Um, it is very much just pitting the players against each other. Yeah. And, and then you have these revelations of your characters throughout. And it's almost the antithesis of yeah, system matters, but also sometimes the lack of system and the freedom to just go because these players as i was just playing through it maybe it's just the way that the, the gm is running it but i've not seen people so happily just get into it and just be like yeah cool i'm just gonna i'm like as a player i know that there's something bad there but i'm just gonna go with it but the, there's think, no mechanical but i think that's because system matters when it helps to nudge narrative mm. if you don't need to use it in a scene and players are buying into it and just running with the narrative mm. Why break that with a dice roll? It's much like playing like um, Cult, for example, is a Powered by the Apocalypse game that relies on moves. You can have a back and forth of moves, which you don't even expressly say, I'm doing this move. Mm. Yet the back and forth of those creates the narrative, and not a single dice roll has occurred. So <coughs> it's a framework and a, and a crutch to drive things forward, or when, and really when something relies on a bit of luck, because you know you don't just hit someone, there's a there's an element of luck in there. So that's like, generally, I mean, I don't, speaking from experience, I've done 40k RPG sessions where I think we haven't rolled a dice roll for like, you know, a good hour or so. And generally that's because someone finally got tired and was, that's a bolt gun in the head, done. Um, but you're, you're right, you can have that conversation. Um, does anyone else? So I, oh, I just, want to, just comment, a couple of comments on that. One, I think even, even, even if you've got a system that 
doesn't lend itself to that, then a good bit of GMing can bring that horror into it very, very nicely. Um, and just on the not needing much system at all, there's a great game which many of you may have come across called Ten Candles, which is a, a narrative horror game um, with a very, very light system that just helps take you through your ten scenes, and each scene you lose a candle. And at the end, when the last candle goes out, you, you all die if you're not dead already. And it's about you just telling your story of the last few hours of the day. I can see that being really fun in a it's Warhammer setting with a bunch of brilliant, around brilliant the table. Game. I recommend it. <laughs> going, well, I saw some rat men and everyone's going, no, you didn't. You did not exist. Can, can we do like Dear Esther, the 40k? Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dredge has an incredibly simple mechanic um, that builds up tension like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, well, you don't... Yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't want to pull out those, those blocks. Yeah. You don't want to do anything because it means that you're going to have to interact with the mechanics, but you always have to, mm -hmm. and eventually that tower's going to fall. And someone's, like, So basically, if you're not familiar with it, you will you play, you play have a Jenga tower and you, you pull out blocks when you want to do things, and when the tower falls, something terrible befalls the, char the character who caused it to fall, usually death. And... Mm -hmm. It's it is it is a nail biting experience. <laughs> I was going to say also in game artifacts quite good. Like the cult tarot card deck is really good because you can use it to do. It has a, they have a PDF back here to do readings of it to create narrative. You know, and again because it's because it's an in game artifact, it draws you into the 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 tone and mood of it. I think we've got time for one more question, and then everyone's allowed to plug a product that everyone should obviously look out for or should buy before. Well, it's, it's downstairs is shut, but upstairs isn't. Uh, yeah, one last question quickly. Yes, hi. Um, so, laughter is a common way that people deal with too much horror. Uh, how would you recommend bringing back the dread after someone uh, is so scared that they start laughing and make a joke of a situation, mm -hmm. and then you have to bring back all the strength that you built throughout the It's a hard question. Bad joke. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not even too sure how to answer that. That's one. a really good question. <laughs> I think you probably rely on, or you can rely on the rest of the player group to get back in mood. Mm. So if, if one player has, say, lightened the mood just for that little bit of release of tension, um, bringing them back again and having the other three or four players around the table um, uh, in the same mood as you as you were as a GM, then that perhaps helps bring them in. I was maintain eye contract and tear their characters. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They're still laughing about something. You want to create the That's immediacy that something's going to happen. Have an egg timer on hand. Just go, well, you're laughing. And now, if you don't act, something bad's going to happen. And it suddenly creates that visual yeah. guide mm -hmm. that you should get your ass in motion we've mm. got a gm in our group that does that because we our, our we run you know we play horrors and all sorts of things and we're always laughing yeah. in our gaming group um but yeah he but he does exactly that he'll just jump in and all of a sudden right this is going to happen 10 9 8 yeah. 7 yeah. and he does a countdown and it's like oh okay okay you know and then you you have to it brings everybody to focus yeah, particularly on what's going on Particularly useful if you're running a, you know, it's, say, for example, in, in Alien, on a cinematic game where you've got to the point where, you know, the the alien has appeared, and you get players dithering, and it's like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to do this? They <laughs> take three minutes to, or want to take three minutes. Xenomorphs there. Go, Fine. Doing the Sudoku while you're doing. Not going to happen. Like just doing his nails. Really well. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, I think that covers everything. So, going down the line, sorry, at your end, what's cool thing that people should look forward to? So the, um... What? Cthulhu has for... Yeah, uh, you said oh. the Kickstarter's come up soon, is Yeah, it? yeah, um, no, no, well, we're, we're working on um, a second edition of Cthulhu has which will be next year, just a bit tweaking with the rules, and of course, the Ascension, which is, if you enjoy Tudor, um, Queen Elizabeth, Walt Simmons, John Dee, all that sort of supernatural horror stuff, we're going to have that uh, released next year, and it's going to be awesome. It's in the making. It's been labor of love for five years, Martin. And finally, we found the system to make it work. So. Uh, cool. Excellent. Dom, uh, people may have missed the Cube for Seven panel, so there's mostly some mm. releases coming up which relate to, definitely relate to horror. I'll just say more hammer. More yeah. hammer. <laughs> more hammer. <laughs> ah, excellent. Yeah, because we've got like what? Choose there's... your variety. So for Warhammer, there's... Uh, Enemy Within campaign. Yeah, Enemy Within is kicking off at the moment. Which um, is classic. Political yeah. horror. Yeah, yeah, lots mixed into that. Yeah. Um, uh, 40k, Wrath and Glory will be out shortly. Yes. Um, and Age of Sigma coming up next year. Which um, will be, I think, epic dark horror is the way to look at it. And that second piece of the Balkans is really cool. Yeah. Uh, Sins. Uh, since we're looking at uh, an expansion of kind of like America, um, spring next year, and we've also got a fantasy yes. um, area, the fantasy kind of like one that uses similar system, um, spring next year as well. Um, my sci-fi horror game will hope to be out autumn next year, and that's PC, so keep an eye out for iHeart Software. Excellent. Uh, Dave, so Alien has... Uh, more Alien! More Alien, <laughs> <laughs> there's more releases. Uh, so um, the, the actual Alien game, uh, although we were selling it today, doesn't release officially until the 10th of December. But you'll be able to um, uh, pre-order it on Tuesday because that'll open up online. There are uh, there is a Colonial Marines supplement in the works <laughs> with a Colonial Marines-based uh, cinematic scenario, and there will be other stuff as well. But it's still um, not yeah. not decided yet. I mean, it's a big IP with a movie industry behind yeah. it. They're yeah, not going to just yeah. let anything come out like that. Yeah, um, so and what about the podcast? What are you doing for the podcast? Because you do the effects, so... Yeah, the effect podcast is still running. Um, we talk very much about free league games. Uh, it started because we love Coriolis, which is a, a free league game, which is also a horror trope yes. in that. Um, uh, so, yeah, we're just doing more of what we do. We talk about stuff, and then we do the odd actual play. So come and find us on the effect podcast. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. I don't know. So, I... Uh, I guess um, I mentioned Aegean, which I contributed, uh, basically I contributed an adventure to the Adventure Anthology. It's a Greek um, mythic RPG, which um, is available on DriveThruRPG. Um, and uh, the Uncaged Anthology, of which I, I have an adventure in volume two of that, which is on the DM skills. Um, that is uh, specifically a series of anthologies, um, which are done by a very diverse group of creators. Um, across lots of different uh, lots of different backgrounds, um, which are about feminist reimaginings of female monsters. Wow. I would highly recommend any all of them, but volume two if you want to, you know, <laughs> throw some love my way. And Dave, uh, it, it, if it's a month of the why in it, there's probably going to be a world or craft of stuff book coming out. Yeah, you go on to back of three, to get deep across one of the three or companies that make them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the uh, the latest Chronicles game, Deviant, is uh, its Kickstarter has been gone and the book itself isn't out yet. But if you go onto Backkit, um, you can uh, the latest you get in on Kickstarter. Then um, the text of the book was shared during the Kickstarter.
purpose. So um, if you email them properly after signing up and back clicking something. Excellent. <laughs> my company all rolled up and yes. I make products. Mm. I make a lot of products for in fact a few of these companies here. So I just want to plug that we've got we're gonna be doing a lot more IP stuff with uh, certain companies here. So <laughs> keep an eye out. Yeah, Dom, um, <laughs> we, we can't personally we, I mean if, if you could say something or not. This will mostly go out a bit later than yeah. in a yeah, month yeah, like a month's we'll time. We'll some some things that we can share and there'll be some uh, some official news coming soon. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Come and get a, a sneak peek. Yeah. And then if you haven't got a business card yet for Dark Days Radio there's a QR code on the back of that, so $1 you can get The Hunger Within, which is on the Storyteller Vault. It is folk horror set in my hometown, well, inspired by my hometown. You play normal people, and it's weird. Um, <laughs> so you get that for $1, um, and there's a bundle on Drive for RPG on sale right now, because there's a Black Friday stuff going on. So that's like, uh, there's the Venice Unmasked, which is a Change of Lost setting book for Venice. And then there's uh, there's a Dice City to one e um, scenario set in Paris called Ashes of Memory, and that's pretty much it. So thank you for sitting and listening and offering questions. Uh, and if you have anything else you want to ask, please email, tweet, Dark Days Radio. We will take it on board. We will use it as topics and themes for other episodes. Um, and that's pretty much it. So thank you, and please enjoy whatever else there's a raffle and food. Next to the bar, apparently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 more important. <laughs>